0: My guest today is an equity senior analyst. She's one of the best, if not the best, healthcare strategists. Please welcome Karen Anderson. Karen, how's it going?
1: Great. Yeah, how are you, Rodolfo?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem. My pleasure.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's jump right into this. What do you do?
1: All right. Well, I work at Morningstar. I'm an equity research analyst. My official title is a healthcare strategist, but it's very similar to the kind of role you might expect at an investment bank on the sell side as a senior analyst.
0: Okay, what made you get into research work?
1: Wow, yeah. Do you want the the long story or the short story? We could do the long um, story. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was an undergraduate, I ended up majoring in biochemistry. Mm, okay. And I, uh, you know, I really just, I enjoyed all of the progress we were making in all sorts of different fields. I enjoyed reading about it. I wasn't really that into doing the research myself, working in a lab, Um, it, it requires a kind of patience that I, I never had, you know, doing experiments over and over again. It's very tedious, very slow progress. And it was something that I really couldn't see myself doing for my life. I couldn't see myself going on and getting a PhD or anything like that. And so I was kind of at a crossroads. I happened to be on a study abroad program in Australia. And I just decided, you know what, I'm gonna flip through this book and figure out what kind of graduate level programs just sound interesting. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be related to anything. And I found a course on economics, which I had almost no experience in. So I took that and I I realized I found that pretty interesting too. And of course that really confused me because (laughs) then now I have two completely, in my mind, two completely different things that I have some experience with and some interest in. And so really, I ended up talking to, at the time, it was the, the head of the biochemistry department at Rice, asking for advice. And it just so happened that he had spoken to another alum from Rice, who had actually said in an email to him, if you ever find someone who is both interested in business and biotech, let me know. Wow. And that's when I found out what equity research was. I'd never heard of equity research, and the more I learned about it, the more I realized this would really suit a lot of my interests and a lot of my skills. So it, it kind of combines a lot of financial modeling, combines writing, which I really enjoy writing as well, and then also just all the, the best, what in my mind, the best parts of, of biotech, which is learning about what's going on, kind of keep staying involved, but, but not being one of the people who's actually doing the lab work.
0: Right, right. Okay. So what exactly do you do? Because when people think of it, I guess they think of you writing these research papers and talking to certain people about their companies or, or about the industry. So how are you getting the information and what exactly are you doing in research?
1: Yeah, day to day, it's it's kind of a combination. So in terms of you know doing the actual research uh, for my job, I mean, it's yeah, basically it's, it's a combination of keeping up with things for my companies right now. And then of course, with the research I'm doing on coronavirus, It's a lot of reading research that's coming out in different medical journals, um, published research on clinical studies. Mm. It's also learning the opinions of thought leaders, like different epidemiologists, different scientists, different physicians. And then it's, of course, it's keeping up with all the latest information that's being disclosed by the companies I cover, staying in touch with those companies, scheduling time to ask questions after quarterly calls. But then that's all kind of the background work. But then of course, I have to spend a lot of time writing, changing things in my model, talking to my teammates about some of my assumptions, if I want to run something by them, and then servicing clients too. So then, the other half is kind of, well, oh, I've got this published research, I'm I'm going to talk to clients about it if they have questions. So we're always scheduling different conference calls and, you know, Zoom meetings now, clients as well.
0: So who are your clients as a research analyst?
1: Yeah, it's a, you know, Morningstar, it's kind of an interesting mix. And so it's, that's one key way. I think it's a little bit different from working at an investment bank. Our clients are not just institutional. That is definitely one big piece of our clients. So a lot of mutual funds, buy-side shops, definitely are our clients. But then we also have financial advisors, uh, bigger contracts with different groups where we provide our research. And then originally kind of where equity research got it started, at Morningstar was through the website. So if you just go to morningstar.com, any stock we covered, there's usually a short report, so it's a little bit of a different product, it's not as long a report, and you don't have the financial model. But that's really kind of where Morningstar started with equity research business.
0: Okay, all right, so, so that's great that you're able to put basically your two passions together here biochemistry and finance or business economics and that you had that person looking for specifically that yeah. when you weren't sure what to do.
1: Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I realized I didn't finish the story. You know, at that point, that was when I decided I really needed to go to business school, mm-hmm. and I needed to learn some of the basic tools that you might need—not <laughs> just the accounting, but a lot more about finance than right. I than I had. And yeah, business school, and then it was in a way easier because I was so focused on what I wanted to do. I had probably many fewer interviews <laughs> because it, there, there just aren't that many opportunities, mm-hmm. and i could research, but. The ones I did have, you know, I felt very prepared for and very clear on my my interest.
0: Right, right, great. And so you get in there, and now the Wall Street Journal, they used to put out a survey of analysts, and you were the number one ranked for your industry, and the highest score overall the last time they put out this annual survey of analysts, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. That was uh, several years ago, they actually stopped doing, I think I broke the system, they actually stopped (laughs) doing it the year after that.
0: Well, congrats on that. That is awesome. <laughs> How did you feel when you found out that?
1: Yeah, no, that was that was a surprise. I still have a framed copy oh, of that article nice. on, my, on my wall over here. So no, that was really great. And I know that for any stock analyst, that kind of just a performance in a given year, you have to be honest, a lot of this is luck. And so you just hope that you have, I guess, enough insight into your call so you can kind of have a little bit of an extra edge yeah. if you're lucky. So
0: yeah, well, you say luck, but you put in that work. You put in the work to put out that research. So definitely giving you kudos for your work. Now <laughs> yeah. now how did you find out about it though?
1: I think I may have found out ahead of time. Yeah, there was some sort of process with uh, you know, getting ready for the publication of the mm. article and I don't know if there was a photo I oh, yeah. okay. there was there was some sort of communication okay. before that
0: published. So <laughs> so I
1: didn't just open the paper and get surprised, which right. you know, that would have been really fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, you mentioned that you've done a lot of work on epidemiology. So with that and what's going on now with COVID, do you have any insight you can talk about or can you talk about a little bit about projections for vaccine development?
1: Yeah, sure. No, that's really probably where I spend most of my time right now is looking at not only the the data that's come out from the first very small trials from the vaccines, but then also the design of the larger thirty to 60,000 patient phase three trials and trying to get a handle on obviously when we could expect some initial efficacy data, how much safety data they're going to end up really needing to get some kind of, you know, emergency use approval for people who are very high risk. And then just longer term, how soon is this vaccine really going to be available in terms of the broader population of adults? What other hurdles are there going to be besides just an effective vaccine? Are we going to have enough supplies? Are we going to have a good enough distribution system? A lot of these vaccines need to be refrigerated or even frozen, and so that just makes makes the process more difficult. So there's just a lot of angles to this right now. But yeah, and then, then obviously throw in the political angle as well in terms of yeah. does that have any impact on how quickly right. something could get could get through. But yeah, it's, it's definitely kept me a little busier, I'd say since February or March, it's, it's been pretty nonstop.
0: Mm, wow. And you mentioned the political side of it too. I think the FDA came out and said that they will actually go through a full um,
1: they're going to, yeah, They've they, the FDA has said that they're going to have, in terms of the actual data from the vaccines, they're not going to have a different threshold here than they would for just the regular process. I think okay. what's going to be dramatically different is how quickly they review that application. Got you. Normally it could take several months, but I'm thinking in this case... <sighs> gosh, if they could get it down to a week or two. I mean, I think that's probably maybe what we're looking at. But yeah, I think that it's very likely that they're going to need what the FDA said, but not published, which is two months of safety data from everyone in the phase three studies. And so if you think about, if you assume the vaccines might be 70 to 80% effective, they they could see significance on their first analysis which for these vaccines this is somewhere october november for the the first two vaccines from moderna and uh, pfizer bioNTech mm-hmm. and so if you throw that together with the safety information we're thinking that we could see two approved vaccines at least with this emergency use authorization two approved vaccines in december okay but in terms of broader supply i think that's definitely a 2021 issue and probably you know, second quarter 2021. So what we've said is most adults we think should have access to a vaccine in the first half of next year.
0: All right. Okay. And now in research in general, so you went to business school, you get a job at Morningstar in in equity research as a healthcare strategist. Were there any surprises to you? I guess there's always surprises, but were any big surprises to you when you got into this? Things that you didn't really realize you had to do
1: You know, honestly, I think the job has changed over the years a lot. When I first started, I was covering many more companies and we had a completely different model that we used for biotechs. But I think one of the hardest things for me has always been getting kind of sucked into a rabbit hole. Anything you look at in terms of the the assumptions you're making in a model. I mean, you could spend days and weeks trying to find all the information you can to try to to back that up um try to find different sources of history of whatever it is you're looking at just to get more and more information and get more and more confident and you have to kind of pick your battles you know you have to decide where is it really useful for me to put all my energy and where is it just you know i'm I'm basically eighty to ninety percent of the way there, and my time would be better spent somewhere else because yeah. we you know we all have. We all have limited time. You can't do everything that you would do in kind of an ideal world. So I think that's always been the hard part for me because one of the things you need to have to be good at this job is curiosity. And so (laughs) if you're naturally curious, it's hard to stop yourself from continuing to follow something if you keep having questions. But at some point you have to decide, is this really central to my question here? Is this really central to the valuations, really central to my main conclusions I'm trying to draw? And if it's not, sometimes you have to just drop it and say, look, you know, we've got to move on.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now talking about that, hard to stop and knowing when to stop and move on. What is your typical day like? And what what are your hours like? What are you doing throughout the day?
1: Well, I mean, I guess there's pre-COVID and... During COVID. Yeah. Pre-COVID, I mean, I'd, I would have said Morningstar is very interested in people having a work-life balance. So typical day, I was working fairly normal hours, probably eight to five on a okay. typical day. And But then there's always, there's earnings, which would be longer hours during earnings season. And then if I'm working on a special project, often, you know, often I'll have a deadline and there'll be two or three weeks where I might be working weekends, trying to make sure I, I get that done during since COVID, I get out of bed sometimes and just start working immediately and work as long as I can. I try to stop at dinner time to have, you know, time with the family. (laughs) But yeah, weekends, weekends were out for months. And so it's been a little bit of a relief recently. I've had a little more time, but it definitely threw off for I'm sure most people in the country threw off whatever kind of balance they had
0: before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. With all the changes and you Basically, living in your workplace. Yeah, that so. doesn't help. That does not help. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. So, what skill sets and characteristics would you say are most important to be successful in your line of business?
1: Well, I guess fundamentally, understanding of how to value companies, how to use Excel, how to do discounted cash flows. We have to learn the terminology, be comfortable with the math. That's probably the very fundamental part of it. But then I'd say, like I mentioned, curiosity. I think being being interested in what's driving these companies, just the story of the company, the story of their strategy, interested in in diving into what it is they make, what the demand is like, And learning about their history and thinking about it from different angles, what the future could look like. And I think that's probably pretty fundamental as well. And then the writing. It's great to have ideas about a company and maybe even a very solid idea on the valuation. But if you can't communicate it and people aren't really reading your research, then it's not worth anything. You know, you have to be able to get your ideas heard. So I think writing and boiling down complex issues into maybe more easily understood language is really key as well.
0: Okay. And then for you, the path that you took, you went to business school. Is that a typical role for people in research is getting their MBA?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd say, I'd say after business school, it's probably typical. If you want to go into equity research, it's probably typical to start out at the analyst level or at the associate level. So you our terminology is a little strange, but usually it starts out where you've got a team with an associate is as kind of the, the lower rung of the team covering, you know, a certain list of stocks. And then you've got the analyst and then you have the senior analyst. Mm-hmm. Um, but, at, you know, at Morningstar, the way it works is that, you know, typically someone coming out of business school would get hired at the equity analyst level. Mm-hmm. And then after picking up the list, getting comfortable with publishing some deeper dives, could be promoted to a senior analyst level where you have just more responsibility with communicating with clients. The company is just more comfortable with having you out there. And then the strat level is kind of the way we see it is there's there's two ways you can go at that point. You can either go more of a management route trying to, to manage teams or even manage the equity research department or you can just go even deeper which is what the strategist role is so that's just more of a commitment to deeper research more of a commitment to talking to clients and usually there's only one per industry typically so you're kind of a try to be a thought leader for your team so within the healthcare industry I'm that's my role. So that took several years to get to that point from starting out at the equity analyst
0: level. Okay, great. And when did you become a strategist?
1: Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, It's been a few years now. I mean, I'd say I was, if I had to guess, probably three or four years as an equity analyst and senior analyst for probably a similar amount of time. Okay. Um, So yeah, probably pretty evenly split between the three.
0: Well, great. Congrats on that. And what do you love about what you do?
1: honestly, I'm torn between my favorite things about it. I think my absolute favorite is, I honestly still just love reading about all the progress that's being made. And with the vaccines, I mean, obviously we don't have the final data, we don't know for sure, but I've been blown away by how quickly these companies were able to use this newer technology and just the advances that that we're really capable of. And so it's always encouraging, I mean, there's always setbacks, but really just the, the level of research that's going on in medicine right now, I think It's just really amazing. But yeah, honestly, the the writing and the communicating is what I really enjoy because I think that that's what's so critical and so often messages get lost when people aren't able to speak or write in a way that's compelling. And so I think that's something that I'm really interested in. It keeps me motivated.
0: Okay. And just curious, how many clinical trials and journals are you reading per week?
1: The major ones, I mean, there's there's the Lancet, there's Journal of the American Medical Association, there's New England Journal of Medicine. Those are kind of the the bigger ones. But yeah, I mean, there's always new interviews with say that the editor of JAMA is always doing interviews with people in the industry, people like Fauci, or or people from the FDA, which are those are really fascinating to see as well. Yeah, I mean, but a lot of it is just honestly, the preprints now, which is kind of a new thing. So you'll see publications even before they come out in these journals, you'll see data from trials on the internet. And it's a new thing. It's not, it hasn't been reviewed, it hasn't really been it hasn't been peer reviewed. It hasn't really been cleared or finalized, but everyone is, is so eager to be completely transparent and release information as quickly as possible that we're starting to see, yeah, more and more research disclosed as soon as possible.
0: Wow. So a lot of changes in the industry, it seems like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of effect this has, you know, after COVID yeah. you
0: know,
1: on research as well. Mm.
0: Oh, okay. Now, what about challenges? What type of challenges are out there or obstacles? I know you mentioned COVID being one, but what other challenges or obstacles?
1: Yeah, I mean the big, the big other one I mentioned uh, would be uh, the time management. Yeah. So yeah, so just trying to figure out how much time to spend on the model versus the writing versus anything else, any emails that might be coming through, and so so that's always been that's always been the key one for me. And then I think the other thing, too, is probably you could also get into the more um, behavioral economics kind of questions. So making sure that the way that you're looking at this company, you're not getting anchored on a, a point of view that you've had historically and being, I guess, keeping your mind open enough that you're always open to the idea that you're wrong. And you're yeah. always looking for proof, not just that you're right, but proof that you're wrong as well. So I think that's a that's always a challenge.
0: Do you ever have any challenging contacts at, at corporations that you're working with that aren't really giving you the information that you need?
1: Yeah, I'd say, you know, the companies I cover, it's it's a pretty wide range in terms of their ability to, to help when you have mm-hmm. questions. You know, some peop- some companies are very limited in what they can offer beyond anything that's in the 10K. Other companies are really great about giving you some background info on, on any issues or helping you find a source that you might need to, to get more information on something so yeah just really I think it just really varies based on the management teams and the investor relation groups at, the, at these companies
0: okay all right and do you have any memorable moments in your career <laughs>
1: memorable moments this is funny probably not what you're looking for but no, no you bad I think... anything. I think the most memorable thing right now, honestly, is, and something that's so foreign to our lives during COVID is some of the travel. So, so going to, you know, I mentioned we will do calls with clients, but sometimes we also do, you know, big marketing trips. And so I think one of the craziest things about the job is just when you're trying to go from city to city or country to country, in a very short period of time. And that's definitely something that creates a lot of interesting stories with running for flights, running for, there was one trip I ran for a flight, I ran for a train and I ran for a ferry, all within the period of probably two or three days. There are some other challenges that are completely unrelated to actual equity research with this job.
0: Running for a ferry, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, Karen, we're at the end of this interview. I want to head to this uh, quick hitter session where I'm going to ask you just questions for fun to get to know you a little bit better and for people to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do that, though, want to see if there's anything additional that you would like to talk about or anything you felt like I might have missed asking you?
1: Mm. No, I think we we covered a lot. I think that Uh, was good.
0: Okay, great. Great. So let's do these quick hitter questions. So first one, what's your favorite sports team?
1: oh no oh i don't (laughs) i don't really watch sports i mean i guess i should say i live in chicago i should say chicago team i used to be a blackhawks fan when I when i used to watch hockey that works
0: (laughs) favorite movie or show
1: Ooh. um well this is going back a really long time but i'd have to say over my entire life twin peaks
0: Oh yeah. That's, okay. That's, yeah. yeah. Mhm. Favorite musical artist or group?
1: Oh, my daughter has a lot of influence on uh, what <laughs> I listen to these days. So maybe Taylor Swift. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right, that's a good one. Uh, favorite vacation spot?
1: Mm, um. Oh boy. You know, we took a trip a couple years ago to Costa Rica. Um and that was just amazing.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I love Costa Rica. All that it offers is great. Yes. Actually, when we were in business school, I studied abroad there.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Favorite food or drink?
1: Mm. Food? Actually, I really like papaya.
0: Oh, yeah. Speaking (laughs) of Costa Rica, (laughs) I was in heaven there. Yep. Puda Vida. Yep. All right. All right. So, Karen, this has been great. You have done so much. I'm very happy for all that you've done and all your accomplishments. And just want to thank you for coming onto the podcast. Thanks a lot.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the kind words. Always oh, great talking to you, Rodolfo.
0: Yeah, same here. Vice versa. And is there a way that people can reach out to you if they have questions?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I you probably can find me on LinkedIn. But also, okay. I'm you know my name Karen at MorningStar.com. It's also my email. So.
0: Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks
1: Karen. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. Yep. Bye.
0: Thank you everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be in the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.